0: Amen. Well, welcome to Mount Calvary Church. My name is Jonathan Whitmer. I'm the executive pastor. And we are glad that you've chosen to spend uh, your Sunday morning with us. And it's our hope and prayer uh, that uh, this time would help us to center on God's word and center our week on living for him. And I don't know about you, but uh, uh, this last week and a half, we've certainly seen we live in a complex world. And I found myself this last week and a half captivated by what is happening uh, in Europe uh, with Ukraine and Russia, and I found myself going to YouTube every day to kind of catch up and, and on the news and see what is happening and, and what is going on over there. And uh, last week, maybe you saw uh, a clip of a Russian tank that uh, was kind of motionless, and uh, and this uh, car pulls up to it uh, with the Ukrainian guy driving, and, uh, and he says to the guys, the soldiers in the tank, the Russian soldiers, hey, are you broken down? And uh, the Russian soldiers say, well, we ran out of gas. And uh, the Ukrainian man then says, well, it sim- simply says, well, hey, I'll tow you back to Russia. And, uh, and both the soldiers and the Ukrainian man share just a, a, a laugh with one another and, uh, and kind of a, 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 a nice little moment in the midst of a crazy, crazy time. But amid, um, you know, the, the, this darkness and devastation, we get a few glimpses of kindness and blessing. This week of a few days ago, I saw another video of a Russian soldier who surrendered to a group of Ukrainian individuals. And it's interesting how the Ukrainians respond to this Russian soldier. They don't beat him, but they bless him. They bring him a cup of hot tea. They bring him a pastry. Uh, A Ukrainian lady pulls out her phone and video calls his mom. And his response to this blessing is he just breaks down. In tears. Uh, the Ukrainian lady holding the phone is heard telling to, uh, talking to his mom by name and says, don't worry, Natasha. He's alive and well. A male voice off camera is heard saying in Ukrainian, these young men, it's not their fault. They don't know why they're here. They're using old maps. They're lost. They're lost. And this exchange is a picture of what I want to talk about this morning. If you have your Bibles, open them to 1 Peter chapter 3. We're continuing in our series in 1 Peter, Refined by Fire. And I want to look at verses 8 to 14 in chapter 3. Let's, let's read those together this morning. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you'd suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Let's pray this morning. Father, above all else, it's our hope and our desire to adore you this morning. It's our hope and our desire to open up your word and 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 to learn about you and to learn about how you change our lives, how you work through our lives, how you desire us to live our lives in honor and glory for yourself. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that you would tune our hearts to be obedient to your call. In a dark and evil world, help us to be light. Help us to represent you with our actions and our words, and point people to the hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. As we look at our passage this morning, it's important to remember that Peter, uh, Peter in 1 Peter is writing to five churches that are scattered throughout the Roman Empire, present-day Turkey. And these Christians, they're in exile in the empire, and their life is not easy. They don't have an easy go of it. And as I read our passage this week, verse 9 stood out to me. I was reading it over and over again, and verse 9 kept sticking out. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And that one phrase in verse 9, I couldn't shake. Bless, for to this you were called. If you've been here through this series, it's interesting that Peter, in every chapter, has stated that Christians are called by God. By mentioning calling, Peter is reminding us that believers, that that God has initiated our salvation. That he's the one uh, that has drawn us out of darkness of our sin and into a relationship with him through faith. That the gospel is powerful and, and God draws us to himself. He calls us to himself. In 1 Peter 1, 13 to 15, we read in our series, Therefore, prepare your minds for action and be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy." And so in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, we see Peter calls us as believers to be holy, to pursue purity and righteousness and resist sin. And as Christians, our attitudes and lives should be set apart, it should be sacred, it should be different from the rest of the world because of our relationship with God. We're called to be holy. It's allowing our relationship with Christ to direct our conduct to direct our character as we strive with his help to live for him in this world. And 1 Peter two twenty and 21, Peter says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. So here in chapter 2, Peter is calling believers to suffer for doing good, to endure suffering that is unjust and unwanted. Or undeserved. Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life and experienced all kinds of challenges and difficulty, and he's our example. And as we seek to follow him, we will, we will experience suffering as well. Enduring punishment that is deserved is not remarkable, right? We can all remember that. We can all remember growing up doing something wrong at home and our parents punishing for that, and we knew we deserved it because we didn't listen to them. That's easy to comprehend that doing wrong has consequences. But it's hard to understand when we suffer for doing what is right. But here Peter says, Christ is our example. And we should continue to do good even if we suffer for it. And enduring suffering for doing good for what is right is evidence of God's grace at work in our lives. We may think it's not fair, but we experience his favor when our right actions and attitudes cause us to suffer. And so the believer's positive response to unjust suffering is a powerful testimony to an unbelieving world. And now in our verses this morning, verse 9 again, don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. And so in our text today, Peter says, as believers, we are called to be a blessing. We're called to bless others, no matter the situation, And so as I was thinking about that, I was thinking, okay, we're called to be a blessing. What exactly does that mean? What does that look like? And it's interesting, in verse 9, Peter clearly tells us what it isn't. He defines it by telling it what it isn't. First of all, he says, being a blessing is not repaying evil for evil. We bless others when we don't respond to their evil behavior by seeking to be harmful and hurtful in our behavior in return. And that's just natural, right? We, we, because of our sin nature, we want to retaliate. We want to get revenge. And Peter says, if you're going to be a blessing, don't repay evil for evil. He also says, if you're going to be a blessing, don't repay reviling for reviling. When others are, are mean and talk unkind things about us, we bless them when we don't return their wicked talk directed toward us with abusive and insulting talk of our own. I Man, that's not always easy, is it, right? When someone is digging at us and someone's putting us down, our natural response is to, hey, you know what? Well, you're not so great yourself and start to point out all their faults. I was listening to a sermon on 1 Peter 3 this week and I heard a pastor say this, to return evil for evil or good for good is human. To return evil for good is satanic. And to return Good for evil is divine. To return good for evil is divine. And that's what Peter says that we're called to do. With God's help, we're to bless others, even if they don't deserve it. Even if their sinful actions and their sinful and abusive speech doesn't deserve it, we're supposed to respond differently. That's what Peter's calling us to do. And that's easier said than done, isn't it? But sometimes at our house, I like to tell my kids, sometimes you need to do hard things. And God, through Peter, is calling us to do a hard thing this morning, to bless others when everything in us feels like, you know what, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. And so we're called to be a blessing. We're called to bless those who don't deserve it. And I think the question that naturally we ask ourselves is: well, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do this? I think three three reasons why. First of all, it's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of what God did for us in sending Jesus to be our Savior. That's why we bless others who don't deserve it, because you know what? We didn't deserve it, and, and God sent Jesus to be our Savior. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. At our core, we were evil and dead, a slave to sin with no way to save ourself. That's who we are. But God responded to our wicked and rebellious ways with good, sending Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins. When we respond to others who've done evil towards us with blessing, it's a picture of the gospel. Our actions and reactions need to be motivated by thankfulness for the blessing that God has given us in Christ. And so when we respond by blessing others who don't deserve it, it's a picture of the gospel. But second, it also proclaims the gospel. Remember I said before, returning good for evil is divine. It's an opportunity for us to to proclaim the gospel. When we bless, instead of retaliating, our hope is that others would what? See Jesus in our lives. See that there's something different about us. That we're not like the rest of the world. And give us an opportunity for gospel-focused conversations. And I'm pretty confident that if we consistently model a life of blessing, even to those who don't necessarily deserve it, it's gonna open up opportunities and conversation for us to to explain, you well, why why do you treat me differently when I treat you unkindly? Well, let me tell you why I treat you this way. Because God treated me kindly when I didn't treat him kindly. Let me talk to you about Jesus. It gives us an opportunity uh, to speak to others about the gospel and to tell them that, you know what, God was kind to us when we didn't deserve it, and I'm just trying to do what he did to me for you. Third thing, it provides personal blessing. God rewards those who obey his word. Jesus said it in Luke 11, 28. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it, and in 1 Peter 3:9, he says that you may obtain a blessing. So sometimes when we bless those who do evil, who don't deserve it, the reward's immediate, and sometimes it's eternal, but there is reward. And in either case, it's not only, to, it's not only best for us to bless them, but it's, in either case, it's not only best for them, but it's best for us to bless them. And so that, it provides us personal blessing. There, there's, uh, there's benefit to us in being different and responding the way that God wants us to do when we obey him. And so that's why we should do it. So like, okay, I get it. It's hard. Like how do we do this? How do we how do we live this out? And I think Peter gives us some clues to how we need to do this. How we need to have the right kind of attitude that kind of directs our actions toward others. And we see that in verse 8. It gets practical. And Peter shares five attitudes that he sees in believers' lives who bless others no matter if they deserve it or not. Look at verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, Brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Peter's presenting this ideal picture of the life of a follower of Jesus. And he says in the beginning in our, our passage in verse 8, all of you, and so it's a change. In verses 1 to 7, he was talking about husbands and wives, and, and we talked about that l- last week. And now he says all of you, he's, he's kind of including all of us as believers, and he says all of you believers, these are the attitudes that you need to have if you're going to live a life of blessing, if you're going to bless others even if they don't deserve it. And first he says you need to have a unity of mind, a unity of mind. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. It means cooperation amid diversity. And Peter says, believers, although very different, very different, should think and live harmoniously. They should share the same thoughts and the same actions. And Paul talks of this in Romans 12, 16, when he says, live in harmony with one another. Wearsby comments, and he says this, and I think he talks, this is a great definition of unity for us in the church. He says, Christians may differ, on how things are to be done, but they must agree on what is to be done and why. Whatever methods we may use, we must seek to honor Christ, win the lost, and build the church. There's plenty of room for variety in the church, but we need to be united in those three purposes. That's what unity is all about. We should be like-minded. We should not be like-minded with the with the world, but we should be grounded in the Word of God. And thinking harmoniously, being unity of mind, it's being in agreement with what, God, what, what we believe about God and aligned in our purpose to honor him in our lives and not serve our individual interests. The past few months, I've watched a lot of basketball. Shout out to our Mount Calvary Christian School girls and guys They both won the CCAC championship, and yesterday our girls won the District Three championship, and they're going on to states, both of them. Good job, girls and guys. But I spent a lot of time watching basketball. I spent a lot of time watching Zachary play JV basketball in the last few months, and in basketball, it's interesting, five individuals with different skills and abilities, what do they do? They come together to work together to win as a team. And this year, watching the JV games, it was very clear the games that they were cooperating and in sync with one another and working together for a common goal. And it was very clear in the games that they were not cooperating with one one another, and they were doing things on their own and trying trying to play hero ball and win it for the team. And one thing I noticed, one thing I noticed in watching basketball this year, basketball is more enjoyable and the team's more accessible if they cooperate, if they have unity of mind, if they're working together for a common goal. And you know what? The same is true for the church. We're more successful and it's more enjoyable when we're all focused on living for the Lord and serving him and working together to make that happen. So Paul says you need to have a unity of mind. Second thing he says, you need to have sympathy. Sympathy is the ability to feel what another feels. It's not being indifferent, it's not being insensitive to whatever issues someone's facing. And can we all be honest? Can we all be honest here for a second? We're all works in progress, right? None of us have arrived. We all need someone to come alongside us and be a little sympathetic, to, to show us some understanding and some care. Uh, no one here has arrived, And Peter is here saying this, this idea is expressing uh, you know, not necessarily feeling sorry for someone, but it's sharing common feelings with someone. A trite expression of sympathy is our, from our day is, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. And oftentimes, it's kind of said in passing uh, and said maybe to kind of make us feel better who said it than really kind of come alongside the person that's having a difficult time. Like, it makes us feel better, but I don't know how it really helps the person that's struggling. I feel your pain. But as believers, that's what we're called to do. We're called to pause and to care, to stop and have sympathy for others. So that's not a, a statement in passing, but it's a way of life. It's what we do. It's actually feeling another's pain or their joy. Paul, Paul illustrates this in Romans twelve fifteen when he says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It's entering into the experience of others. Rejoicing with them or feeling sorrow with them, having sympathy. Fourth attitude that we want to bless others even when they don't deserve it is the attitude of brotherly love. Christians should also love love as brothers, which refers to this affection among people who are related. An interesting story from a few weeks ago, uh, Wesley was not having a a good day at school. Wesley's our six-year-old. He was not having a good day at school on Friday afternoon. He was sad and distracted and kind of moping around. And if you know Zach Wesley, he's, he's pretty hyper. He's not really kind of like that. And Mrs. Hilsher, his teacher, said, Wesley, what, what's the matter? And Wesley looks at his teacher and he says, I just miss my sister. And I just can't wait till after school because I'm gonna see my sister. That's brotherly affection. To be honest and, and uh, transparent, by Saturday afternoon, he was beating with her with a <laughs> lightsaber, uh, but, uh, but it was a nice picture. And, and that's a common theme throughout Scripture. Peter mentions having a sincere brotherly love in 1 Peter 1.22, and Paul in Romans 12.10 uh, calls us to love one another with brotherly affection. And I love our Mount Calvary Church family, and we're a diverse group of people. Some of us here get to worship with our actual parents. Some of us get to come to worship with our brothers and sisters. Uh, some of us even get to come in and worship with our grandparents. Some of us come and worship with friends that we've done life with together for years through the ups and downs of life and some of us are new and we're developing relationships. And no matter where we are on the spectrum, A vibrant and healthy Christian community is one that develops the same close bonds of affection between all individuals, whether you're related or you're just starting your relationship. No matter the status of your relationship, we should respond to everybody like we're all one big family, God's family, and love one another with brotherly affection. Fourth characteristic or attitude that helps us to bless others is a tender heart. And a tender heart is a kind heart. And man, we live in a mean world where kindness is in short supply. A number of years ago, in the same year, two movies were released, Mean Girls and Saved. And it's interesting, both of those movies portrayed the life of teenagers, one in a public school and one in a Christian school. And the plot of both movies were very similar. There was this girl, and she was looking for relationships. She was looking for friendship and acceptance, and she experienced the hurt of faked relationships, the hurt of unkind exclusion. We live in a mean world. And unfortunately, often the same exact behavior plays out in real life, whether it's in the life of students, or let's be honest, as adults, we do the same thing. We do the same thing. But Peter is calling Christians to be compassionate, to show tender loving care to people who are in need instead of ignoring them. And it's having genuine feelings of concern for others, which is ex- expressed in compassionate and kind actions. Came across this quote from Mark Twain this week. It says, Kindness is the language with the deaf, which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Kindness is the language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. Mark's quote says this, hey, no matter your circumstance, no matter what you're going through, kindness connects, kindness counts. It makes a difference in people's lives. The fifth thing that helps us to be a blessing no matter what, uh, and no matter if people deserve it or not, is a humble mind, a humble mind. To be humble is to suppress the selfish desire to be important, to always put our interests first. Humility is not uh, thinking less of ourselves, it's thinking of ourselves less. And I was at a Mount Calvary school, Christian School trustee meeting this week and Jared Greist, our, our superintendent, was taking me to school and he introduced to me a new educational term that I had not heard before, adult-centric, adult-centric. Adult centrism in education is the tendency that as adults we want to make decisions for the best interest of adults and not the best interest of our students. And if I'm really honest, I'm adult centric. I'm me centric. I want to make decisions that benefit me. I want to do what's best for me. And here Peter's calling us to do the opposite, to have a humble mind. Genuine humility is dying to self. It's putting the needs and the welfare of others ahead of our own needs and our own welfare. And humility is realizing that you're not above doing the job to help someone else. And that humble act, that humble act of service, it may not be glamorous. It may not be in the spotlight. It may not be something that you want to do. It may be something that no one else is willing to do, but humility says, you know what, I'm gonna do it because I care about you. I'm gonna do it because I wanna help you. And this reminded me of an interesting night years and years ago in the middle of the jungle in Honduras. We were on a mission trip with Larry Buck, Buckman and uh, our Honduras mission trips with Larry were always interesting, never a dull moment. And we were in this little, I don't know, compound in the middle of the jungle. And, and the same night, I was, I was summoned to the bathroom twice, I think, of the same night. Uh, the, the, one, the first time, the ladies, called me into the bathroom because this huge spider was in the bathroom. It was the only bathroom we had. This huge spider was in the bathroom and somebody had to kill it. And so in I went. What I didn't tell them was I didn't really kill it. I just couldn't find it. And so uh, uh, they, they didn't know that until after the fact. And so, so that was the first time. The second time someone had gotten sick in the bathroom. Someone gotten sick in the bathroom and I was summoned to go in and clean it up. And can I tell you, that I wasn't really excited about going to the bathroom at that point. And if I'm really honest, I'm in the bathroom thinking, why in the world am I doing this? Why do I have to do this? Like I did all the details to get us here. I, 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 you know, I'm in charge. Why do I have to do this? And then I had a moment of clarity, I think from the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and I thought to myself, Jonathan, why wouldn't you do it? Why wouldn't you do it? are you too good to do it? And the reality is, I did it. And that night in the middle of the jungle in Honduras, God was taking me to school. And he was teaching me about humility. And he needs to do it over and over and over again. Because if we want to serve and bless other people, we need to be willing to humbly serve them, no matter what it is. And so far here in 1 Peter 3, 9, we looked at uh, Peter calling us as believers to live a life of blessing. And then in, in 1 Peter 3, 8, we see Peter communicates the important attitudes that impact our actions if we want to live this life of blessing. And now, and as we close in 1 Peter 1, in 1, 1 Peter 3, 10 to 12, Peter quotes Psalm 34, a Psalm of David. Now, stick with me here. It's important to put this psalm in context if we understand what's, so we can understand what's going on in David's life and how it connects with what we're talking about this morning. So I kind of want to kind of bring this all together quickly so we can kind of get the uh, synopsis of the situation. And so uh, in, first, in first Samuel, we see David's life. In first Samuel 16, we see David is anointed to be the next king of Israel, to replace Saul, who's the current king, because Saul has rejected God and, and disobeyed God, and now the Lord's rejected him. In 1 Samuel 17, we see this, the great victory, right? David goes out to fight for the Israelites and he the, defeats Goliath and the Philistines, the giants. In 1 Samuel 18, we see the people celebrate David's victory, right? They make up a song saying that David's killed 10,000 to Saul's thousands. And this anger Saul, and it, and, it, and it causes Saul to throw spears at David. And God keeps David safe and he gives him success in all his endeavors, in 1 Samuel 19, driven by jealousy and insecurity, Saul plots to kill David, and David escapes. In 1 Samuel 20, Jonathan, Saul's son, is loyal to David, and he, de- and he de- determines to help David and sends him away to keep David safe. And in 1 Samuel 21, David's on the run. He's in Gath and pretends to be mad to escape Abimelech, the alternative name for Achish, the king of Gath. And Psalm 34 talks about this encounter in 1 Samuel 21. So there's the connection, right? And in 1 Peter 3, Peter is quoting Psalm 34. And he says, For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against Those who do evil. Now, giving you all that context, it's pretty clear. These are not good days for David, are they? These are hard days. I'm sure his natural disposition is not to love his life right now. He's on the run for his life. But yet, somehow, David knew that good days were not caused by his current circumstances, but centered on his relationship with God. His faith in God, his commitment to follow him and do what's right in whatever the situation was. And we see this expressed earlier in Psalm 34. In verse one, David says, I'll bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. In verse eight in Psalm 31, he sa- 34, he says, O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. So somehow in David's mind, every day is a good day when, when he recognized the goodness of God and how God generously a- acted on his behalf. The same is true for us. No matter what's going on in our lives, every day can be a good le- day because when we recognize the blessings and the grace that, that God has, ha- has given to us and every day is a good day when we seek to do good and seek peace and, and we take refuge in him by putting our trust and our confidence and our hope in God. David considered God's blessing even in the most difficult circumstances and he was committed to be a blessing in the most challenging situations. So how does this play out in David's life? Well, 1 Samuel 23, we see Saul is still pursuing David, trying to kill him. And then we see 1 Samuel 24. And I want to read this because I think this illustrates our point so powerfully this morning. 1 Samuel 24, starting at verse 2. Listen, then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of Israel and went to seek David and his, and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds by the way where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. And the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, behold, I will give your enemy into your hand and you shall do to him as it sh- shall seem good to you. And then David arose and he stealthily cut off the corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David's heart struck him because he had cut off the corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I shall do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Verse eight. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave and called to Saul, my Lord, the king. And When Saul looked at him, David bowed his, his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to the Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hands. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put on my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. I will not put out my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I've not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. Verse 16. As soon as David had finished speaking the words to Saul, Saul said, "'Is this your voice, my son David?' Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, "'You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands.' For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. This passage is mind-blowing to me. It's mind-blowing that in the midst of all the struggle and all the difficulty, David chooses to bless Saul. He chooses to be a blessing in this situation he can end his running and start his ruling simply by ending Saul's life. But David chose blessing. He didn't repay evil for evil. He chose to repay evil with good. And in spite of how Saul's actions and the fact that he didn't deserve it, David blesses Saul and spares his life. What a powerful example of 1 Peter 3, what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to be a blessing no matter if people deserve it or not. And before you might say, well, that's, the, that's an exception in David's life. That's not, that's not normally how he lived. Go to 1 Samuel 26, because David does it again. David does it again. He has the opportunity to, to retaliate and seek revenge against Saul, and he chooses, cho- chooses to spare his life and bless him. And so this morning, our passage here, I think, is pretty clear. Our passage here is calling us to be like David. It's calling us to bless others even when they don't deserve it. And I don't know about you, but that's not my natural response. And so we need God's help to help us do this because this should be not an anomaly in our lives, but it should be the normality of how we treat one another. That no matter what people do to us, we we respond with blessing and kindness and, and sincerity and brotherly love because that's what God has done to us. Christians, God clearly calls us from 1 Peter 3 to be a blessing. It's pretty clear. To humbly and harmoniously show sympathy and love and compassion to others. That's what God is calling us to do. And my prayer, my prayer for us this morning, my prayer for me this morning, is that the next time when someone does evil to me and I want to respond and seek revenge, that I would pause and I'd recognize how God has graciously blessed me. And I'd remember and cry out to God for help and respond the way that Peter calls us to in 1 Peter 3, that I would respond and bless others even when they don't deserve it. Because when we do that, we are living out the gospel. We're proclaiming the gospel and we are honoring God with our lives and he will reward that. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this challenging passage And, Lord, if we're honest, when someone harms or hurts us or hurts someone in our family, we get hot. Like our natural response is we are angry and upset and we want revenge. And yet, Lord, when we pause and think about how you responded to our evil and sinfulness, you didn't turn your back on us, but you actually walked towards us, And chose to bless us through Jesus Christ. Lord, you called us to be a blessing. Lord, my hope and my prayer is that we, as your church here at Mount Calvary, that our words and our actions might be full of blessing. That no matter what situation we find ourselves in this week, no matter how people treat us or talk about us, Lord, I pray that uh, supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would help us Respond by blessing others, even if we don't feel like they deserve it. Help us to honor you by being a blessing this week. In Jesus' name, amen.